Alright, my name is Fabio Jones, and you're listening to The Treason Show. So last week we talked about the like on social media, and how important it is to be liked and what that means. But I didn't really talk about pandering and quid pro quo, and the like serving as this kind of social currency. So... When you look at somebody's pictures or their posts or whatever, the first thing you notice is how many people have liked them. And that signals something, you know, it signals how popular they are, essentially. And the same thing when you see somebody's follower count and you notice their follower count compared to how many people they're following. And that in itself also tells you something. And it has become this kind of way to judge somebody's social standing in a very easy and matter-of-fact way. I mean, it's numerically based, so you can just say, this person has X amount of followers, therefore they stand here. This person has X amount of followers, therefore they stand here. And granted, it's only across a single medium, but it's like right in your face, and it just like, it tells you kind of where you stand immediately. And everyone knows this, and a lot of people don't care. I mean, you shouldn't really care, but there are also a lot of people who really do care and they want to seek out that social standing, or at least the image of the social standing, and so they really fish for the followers and they really fish for those likes, and when people do that, it kind of creates this unhealthy social environment, and I see this a lot in the poetry community on Instagram, just because that's where that's where I'm at, and it's it's really bad there in the sense that you have a lot of people who aren't working on their art as much as they are working on pandering for likes and follows. So they spend most of their time literally asking people to follow them rather than creating something that's genuine and artistic and worth reading. And what happens when most people are more focused on the marketing aspect rather than the creating aspect is you get this diluted product where the poetry is not very good, it's not as good as it could be. And it's especially, I mean, like I get it, we're all out there to market our stuff. When you write something, you obviously want people to read it. That's part of being a writer is is marketing. But I think you should write first, market second. And I see a lot of people trying to do the other way around. They're trying to market themselves before they've actually really written anything substantial. And on top of that, If you're going to market your stuff, there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. Because you don't want people to feel like they have to read your work. You can't force anyone to like your stuff. I mean, you can tell them to physically like it on the site, but that doesn't mean that they actually enjoy it. And you can't just tell somebody, hey, like my stuff so it looks like you enjoy it, and then that's going to make them enjoy it. It doesn't work that way. And so you don't want to, it's, it's off-putting when you just kind of f- try to force things onto people. Like, if somebody wants to read your work, they're going to read your work. And I think this is, like, kind of the same reason why a lot of kids say they don't like to read in school. And I was kind of the same way. It's because, you know, the books are assigned and you have to read them. And the teacher picks the book and you can only read that book. And it becomes more of a chore than something you just want to do and i think it would be more interesting if teachers said like at least for like the first book of the semester they said pick a book literally any book just pick a book that you want to read and you read it and then you know do a report on it or whatever and then go from there because when you force people to read something like i said it just becomes more of this thing that they have to do instead of something that they want to do Because a lot of people find out later in their life that they actually like to read. They just like to read what they like to read, you know? They want to read what they're interested in. They don't want to read what somebody tells them to read. And so going back to the kind of harmful community that can be established on social media when people are trying to promote their work, there's there's a lot that goes into it. But one of the most interesting things about it is it's a very quid pro quo environment. And if you don't know what that means, quid pro quo basically just means I give you something and you give me something. 
And so a lot of these people who are trying to promote their work will tell you like, hey, I followed you, so follow me back. I like your stuff, so like my stuff. Or it's more implicit even. It's more passive. You'll get someone who will like 20 of your posts consecutively at the same time. And they obviously didn't read them. They're just slam liking them. And the expectation is that you will follow them for doing that. And then, you know, maybe they'll follow you or whatever. But it's not healthy because you're not actually supporting the person. You're just pretending to do so. And that's also what's challenging about being in that environment is that it's hard to distinguish between genuine support and real support. So we talked about this earlier in the sense that if somebody likes your photo, you don't know exactly what that means. It's even more the case in this kind of environment because if somebody, even if they comment on your photo or your poem or whatever, there's all these auto-generated comments so people can buy these bots and they can type in nice or great shot or beautiful or stunning and it just like comments on random people's stuff whatever the person tells them to comment and so it can be difficult to distinguish if someone's being honest or not i feel like i've talked about this before maybe it was in a video and not on the podcast but if it was on the podcast i apologize for talking about this again but anyways we're going to continue on here i'll i'll find an example of what i'm talking about all right this one this is a message from shitballs84 and it reads i think you'd really enjoy following my story and i've just started a few days back i'd love if you could give me a follow i've given you a follow by the way all right so this is the this is what i was talking about it's i've given you a follow by the way so follow me back check out my stuff blah 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 this is also just like really oddly worded i think you'd really enjoy following my story and i've just started a few days back it's an odd sequence of of events there but it hits on what i was talking about earlier in the sense that you shouldn't start marketing before you start creating and so this person's saying okay i've just started so you should support me instead of simply working on their craft and trying to write the best possible thing they can write and then asking, hey, what do you think of this? They're just kind of blatantly saying like, hey, support me because it's your responsibility, I guess. Or you just should because I don't know. Anyways, back to the social currency kind of aspect. There's also this idea of conformity that goes along with that in the sense that the stakes are kind of higher online since everyone can view your profile and what you say. So your image is able to instantly be viewed by this wide audience. And so I feel like it's kind of riskier to be significantly different, I guess, because you risk immediate feedback. I don't know, though. I mean, in the same sense that everyone online is so similar because they're afraid to be significantly different when somebody is significantly different it really stands out and i think it takes people a while to adjust to that you notice that in art all of the time you know somebody will say this person was way ahead of their time and during the time they were alive you know you see this with painters a lot they weren't really very popular and people didn't really understand what they were doing and then by the time they die Everyone's like, oh my god, this person was a genius. I get this now. And you see that with writing and art and painting and and a lot of these mediums. A lot of these people who are considered creative geniuses and even psychologists, philosophers, stuff like that. Their, Their genius isn't recognized until centuries after they've been doing what they were doing. You know, same thing with, you know, Socrates, Aristotle. It's like, I think it was Socrates who was basically killed for what what he believed in because people just weren't weren't ready for it it was it was ahead of its time and on social media the mob is ever present in that sense but the good thing is is we live in a society now where you're not gonna get really killed for your ideas so there there is this backlash towards ideas that make people uncomfortable and things that maybe 
progressive, but not progressive in like the political sense, but like actually progressive. And there's kind of this fear of speaking your mind and speaking the truth nowadays because of this kind of like, I think it's most significant on Twitter. You know, they call it the Twitter mob or whatever, where there's like a small percentage of people who get really upset about a certain thing and they really go after the person and they try to take them down. And obviously it's not like thousands of years ago where that person can be tried for heresy and hung, but you can lose your job and you can kind of be ostracized and people will categorize you and assume that you're a certain way, even though you may not be. And it's interesting. I mean, social media provides us with this platform to speak, but because there are so many people and because anyone can be heard, you also get this reaction and you get this kind of mob mentality that can form very quickly. You know, the mob doesn't have to converse physically. They don't have to actually get together. You know, they can just get together online, which is really easy. You know, you can just say, hey, like, come here. Like, everyone's already there. So you can all put in your effort to try and destroy somebody. And it can happen very quickly. And, you know, we see that. And that scares people, and rightfully so. I mean, you don't want to lose your job just for saying something that you think is is honest and true. And obviously, you know, if you say something horribly racist or just genocidal or whatever, it's not unreasonable for there to be repercussions for that. And if an employer wants to fire someone for something terrible that they've said or done, I mean, I guess it's up to them. But I also feel like there should be a distinguishment between private life and work life. So if somebody says something on the job or does something on the job, then it should be up to the discretion of the employer to fire them. But if somebody says something in their private life, I don't really think they should be complained to to their employer. And it's not really up to the employer to judge somebody on what they're doing in their private life. You know, if they're a good employee and they're respectful at work, then that should be enough. If they want to be an asshole on their own time, fine. You know, let them. But I don't think those things should really cross over. And I guess another thing that people often become concerned with is this idea that, so social media, what you post on there, it's pretty permanent. I mean, you can delete stuff, but on the internet, it's kind of always there anyways. And most people don't go back and delete their things to begin with. But we've seen we've seen this happen, you know, all the time. You know, you see Kevin Hart or a bunch of baseball players got in trouble for stuff they tweeted in high school. And it definitely begs this moral question about judging somebody for what they've said, judging them across time, forgiveness, change. It, it begs all these questions because we all said really stupid stuff in high school. So it's like, do you want to be attached to all of that? You know, do you want somebody to be able to dig up all of the worst things you said while you were 17 and then characterize you as a person now when you're 35 from what you said then? And I recently wrote an article about this talking about comparing morality across time. And so I call it cross-generational moral appraising. And that's when you take something, say, several generations ago and you compare it across time to today's morals as if the morals from the past were the same as they are today. So it's like you could say, you know, somebody who used to hit their kid as as punishment, like they used to discipline their child with, say, like a belt. A hundred years ago, that was pretty common. Now it's pretty much, you know, completely forbidden. And so we've kind of had this moral uh, shift to where we decided that's not okay as a society. And, you know, that's fine. That's a good thing. But would you admonish someone who's 85 years old who used a belt to discipline their child 50 years ago? Would you say that's acceptable to bring up something they did in a time frame where that was considered acceptable behavior and then compare that to today's moral behavior and say, no, you're terrible for doing this? I don't, I don't necessarily think that's fair. I think there's a lot to consider there. And the further back you go, the more complicated it gets. So in, in the article I wrote, I talk about Columbus Day. And so Columbus arrived or quote-unquote discovered the United States. What was it, four, four or five hundred years ago, whatever. It doesn't matter, but 
the point is it's been so long since that's happened and people are now very uncomfortable with Columbus and I think it was 1992 when Berkeley was the first city to declare Columbus Day Indigenous Peoples Day and there's lately been this backlash against Columbus and Columbus Day and it's not easy to evaluate whether Columbus Day is a moral thing because there's just too much to consider you know are we really celebrating Columbus what is Columbus Day really about what did Columbus actually mean in his letters how do we know what kind of guy Columbus was how can we verify all of the things he actually did what is he actually responsible what is he directly responsible for how do we define directly there's all these questions that we have to ask in order for us to fairly evaluate Columbus Day as a holiday and it's very challenging because you have you could take both sides of it you know you have people who say of course we should celebrate Columbus Day Columbus is awesome Columbus discovered America and this gave rise to the greatest nation in the world and we have all of these freedoms and we're able to do everything we are today because of Columbus and then you could go the complete opposite direction and say Columbus Day is the worst thing ever Columbus is terrible because the Native Americans were all killed off and they all died from disease after Columbus got here and so Columbus is responsible for this massive genocide and everything terrible that happened after Columbus arrived we should attribute to Columbus and then there's everywhere in between which obviously there's more nuance in that area and that's where you have to ask all those questions I was talking about but people and rightfully so they don't have the time or the energy or even the interest to do a fair cross-generational moral appraisal and ask all these questions and really try to figure it out. So it's easier to just submit to this kind of blanket idea of Columbus Day good, blanket idea of Columbus Day bad, and then that's that. And another thing I talk about in the article is, you know, kind of people's tendency for these shortcut tactics in the sense that a lot of times they take something terrible that's happened and they'll cast blame onto a single figure because it's harder to kind of understand the nature of evil and the fact that we're all capable of evil and that a lot of people were responsible for the genocides in human history. So it's easy to say, you know, Hitler was terrible and if Hitler wasn't such a bad guy, then none of this would have happened. But that doesn't take into account everyone under him who contributed to the murders, who actually executed the murders, all of the people who joined the Nazi party, all of the people who lied, all of the people who informed, all of the people who ratted on people, all, all of these people who were seemingly fairly normal people who kind of gave into this evil doctrine. And obviously Hitler was terrible and he was the figurehead for all of that evil. But I think in order for us to understand morality and try to judge morality we kind of have to understand the capability for evil within all of us because even the most evil people they're still people right and we're all people and so we have things in common with those people and it's possible that any of us could have been the most horrid thing ever and we have to acknowledge that and if we don't acknowledge that we can't really understand how to move on from it I don't feel like not really move on from it but progress as a society I guess so what I'm trying to say is if you don't understand the human capability for evil within yourself when that actually arises you're not really going to know how to handle it and your whole view of yourself will be shattered in the sense that if you believe yourself to just be this kind of benevolent being that isn't really capable of ever doing anything terrible. What happens when you actually do something terrible is, well, you'll probably de develop post-traumatic stress disorder. But I think, I think the re I mean, this is just conjecture on my part, but I think I also read someone who had more expertise in the, the area talking about something similar. It's basically like, if you believe yourself to be this benevolent person, you're not capable of doing anything evil. When you actually do something evil, it shatters everything that you know, it shatters everything that you think you are, and since you never thought you could be that, you don't know how to live with yourself anymore because you've done something so atrocious 
that you just you can't handle it it's like it's like if you go to war you know it's like okay i'm i'm an upright person i've i've done right by my family i'm a good person i see myself as a positive to society i'm defending my country and then you have to go out there and say you end up killing 10 or 20 people well now you have to face the fact that you just murdered 10 or 20 people and that's god i mean i can only imagine but that's got to be terribly difficult to deal with because if you consider yourself a good person and then you've done this thing where you've murdered 15 or 20 people it's kind of this cognitive dissonance where it's like well am i a good person if i've done this thing and if i truly believe myself to be a good person how could i do something like this and that's just unimaginably difficult to deal with but i think you could be better equipped to deal with something like that if you understand that you're already capable of doing it. Anyways, that's not a light subject, so let's move on. Today's episode is brought to you by Kyle Dingus's Frozen Dildo Molds. If you're looking to spice up the action in the bedroom, we have you covered. All you have to do is buy the product and insert our specialty cream into the mold of your choosing. We have big, bigger, and absolutely huge. And whatever you like, you can try on your own as well. If you want to put orange juice in the mold, you can do that. Cranberry juice, that's fine. I personally enjoy a little bit of lime juice with some lemon. Throw in some mayonnaise and you've got the perfect dildo. But whatever you're choosing, whatever you're liking, you should try Kyle Dingus's frozen dildo molds. Just call us at 1-800-DILDO-NOW. So we talked about social currency across social media and what that means and in that same kind of conversation we could talk about addiction on social media because a lot of people treat that that uh that scenario kind of like a game so they're trying to up their follower count almost like it's a level and they're trying to up the amount of likes they receive as if it's this game and a lot of people get addicted to games, especially when they can provide them with kind of this sense of camaraderie. And so especially if you're someone who's, you know, lonely or you don't have many friends or something, if you're able to find that on social media, that can definitely I mean that's that's a that's a good thing. Like that's one of the positive things about social media is if you're not a very sociable person, you know, if you're not uh, extroverted, if you're more introverted it can be easier to connect with people online and that can be an easier medium for you to make connections with people which is good so hooray for that but um i guess i guess where it could become harmful is if you kind of replace human interaction with that entirely so it it's like anything you know that i talk about there's there's a balance so you want to connect with people face to face in person in real life and cuz there's something different that that provides you with there's something different about looking someone in the eyes. There's something different about just the physical presence of somebody being there. Like personally, I like to do my own thing, but I also like having people around in the house. So I like to have people in the house, but I don't necessarily want to talk to them. <laughs> so it, it's just like it provides, it's like a comforting, comforting vibe that there are other people around. And I think we all crave that even if we're introverted, even the most introverted among us. We still crave human interaction, be it physical or, or whatever. And and there's something that's missing with that on, on social media. It's not quite the same. And so it's it's a good thing if you're connecting with people on social media, but at the same time, if you're only connecting with social media or only connecting with people on social media, or if you're using those connections to replace the physical real-life connections, I think that's when it, it can become more more negative especially if you're using it to replace. So if you have, you know, if you have friends in in your life and who you used to see and you always hung out with, but then you kind of delved into this social media world where you kind of got obsessed with with the whole follower thing and all these likes and you really got into that and you were just talking with all these people on social media and really engaging in that environment and you were making some some connections no doubt on social media that that were you know positive you're making friends and stuff but if it's at the expense of your real friends and you're not hanging out with those people anymore you're not physically doing things with them 
I think that can definitely become harmful. And I mean, I've seen that with a lot of people, not on that complete sense where they've just like disregarded their friends for social media or whatever, but we see it, you know, it's like when you're hanging out with somebody and they're always on their phone, it's annoying and it's off putting. It's like, what you almost want to take it personal. It's like, well, am I boring? Like, do you not want to hang out with me? Like, why am I even here? Because they're essentially telling you, you know, like, what's on my phone is more important than what's in front of me, and you're in front of me, so whatever, like, I don't really care that much. And obviously there's there's nuance with that, like, if you, <clears throat> you've been hanging out for a while with your friends and there's just a lull in the conversation or whatever and you're checking your phone, like, that's not a big deal. It's when somebody is literally always on their phone and you could try talking to them and they won't even respond or, like, they don't even hear you, like, that that's very off-putting and that's that's not that's not healthy that's not a good thing i don't think any of us any of us want that but we see it happen nonetheless and it's because social media can can be a very ad addictive environment and it's it's because of that the likes and the follows and the fact that you can numerically evaluate them and you can see when it's going up and it feels good when you get a like it feels good when you get a follow and i think they've done studies on that where it you know releases serotonin in your brain and so you want more and you want more and you're always looking for that like little high in a sense and you want another like you want another follow and it just keeps going and that's what you're always craving and so you know everything in moderation i just i treat social media almost as if it's a drug and personally i i spend you know a half hour a day on it or whatever and I usually post my stuff and uh, I'll try and like some other people's stuff and read their stuff and comment on a few things. And then I go about my day. And I don't want to be checking my phone all day because I noticed how that makes me feel. I, I was very self-aware of that in the sense that the more time I spend on social media and the more time I spent thinking about it, the more time I spent checking my phone, the worse I felt just mentally. I just didn't feel good. It was really the same effect of like coming off of a drug. It's like you take the drug to feel good, and then when you're off of it, you feel a lot worse than you did before. And that's how I felt with social media. And so when I use it more responsibly, and I just kind of, you know, 30 minutes a day, and then I'm done with it, I don't, I don't get those negative effects. I, I feel totally fine. And, you know, obviously that's different for everyone. Some people, I'm sure, can handle more, more of that. And some people, you know, they just need to shut it off completely. You see that, you see people do that a lot, you know, that they're, they're making a statement by saying, I'm, I'm just done. I'm not going to be on social media at all. And maybe that's what's, you know, maybe that's what's best for them. And yeah, I mean, you just, you have to find out what works for you. How much time are you able to spend on social media before it, you know, harms your, harms your mental or emotional state or, or physically or whatever. Um, I guess that's just something to, to pay attention to. It was something that I paid attention to, and and when I was able to figure out what works for me, I, I was a lot happier. And so I'd suggest that that as well to anyone who who uses social media is to just pay attention to how it makes you feel, and you know maybe just try not using it for a couple days. You know, just two days, you don't use it at all, and and notice notice how you feel. And if you feel better, then maybe that's something you should take into account. And if you felt totally fine before and you feel totally fine now then you know whatever but um i think it's it's a useful experiment i think to to pay attention to how much we're using social media and to just just evaluate that and and figure out what works for us and and what doesn't work for us and because it's different for everyone obviously so you just kind of gotta you gotta find your zone with that and i guess that's kind of what you know this podcast the last couple episodes about social media are are about is just understanding more about it and going through all these things helps helps me understand it and trying to explain it uh gives me a deeper level of understanding and you know hopefully that can do the same for you and hopefully it can help you think about these things and so that you can use social media more responsibly because i don't think i don't think many people really ponder it that much you know it's just kind of habit in the sense that you just use it and you don't consider all of the repercussions and all of the positives and all of the negatives and you know obviously people don't have time to do that and and that's that's why i'm here that's because i do have the time to do that and i think it's useful and i enjoy doing that and 
so I'm happy to to do it. I mean, I'm I'm more than happy to do it. This is what I want to do. That being said, if you would like me to keep doing this, please support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash jasonscottbrendel. It's now time for this week's segment of Jason Scrolls Through Tinder. So I had too much fun doing this, so this is definitely becoming a regular thing now. And uh, let's get started. First one reads, Amateur Magician. Huh. Put me in a box. Future Public Defender... Riddle Enthusiast, Happiest When Sipping a Beer in a River, in a river? That'd be pretty cool if you were like underwater sipping the beer. I would go out with someone who could do that, that's for sure. Looking for someone who can beat me on Bananagrams, no idea what that is, as opposed to cranberry grams, I'm assuming. Snapchat, Insta... When I'm not busy with work or school, you can find me eating slushies. Eating slushies? Who eats a slushie? Don't you? Isn't the only possible way to consume a slushie to slurp it? I think the word slurp was literally invented simply for slushie. You do not eat a slushie, you animal. Or ice cream. At a concert, the beach, or the gym, chilling with my cats. Oh, ho, ho! got a cat lady we're taking spontaneous trips to disneyland girls really like disneyland could you imagine if some guy was like oh my god all these girls just love disneyland i need to go to disneyland and he went there with the intention of like picking up women but then he realized that he was just a single dude at disneyland and that everyone was like dude what are you doing at disneyland by yourself you freaking creep that is one thing people don't talk about very often is if you're a guy, you can't just like sit on a park bench or like go to Disneyland without people looking at you funny or play with a kid. Like if you're a full grown man, you you can't just like play with a child. It's weird. Like you don't know what to do when you see a child. Do you do you smile at it? Do you say, hey, do you like try to play with him or her? Or do you just play it safe and just like look away or run away because that's probably the safest bet honestly all right next one pretty but crazy (laughs) got to admire the honesty once again i do appreciate the warnings though you know when a girl just tells you like flat out like hey i'm crazy it's it's a nice little forewarning there because like at that point if if a guy dates you and then you do something crazy and he's like whoa what the hell you can just be like Dude, I warned you, this is your fault. And it totally is, because he knew what he was getting into. Because, you know, you put on your Tinder profile pretty but crazy, so... Tempting, but I'll have to pass. Take me on an adventure. What a surprise. I wonder what some are, what some of the things that guys say all the time on this are. I should I should make a profile of, a, of me as a woman, and then do Tinder for guys... And see, uh, and read those too. I think that would be funny. Maybe next time. Hit me up. Let's have some fun and go on some adventures. Oh, we're on a roll now. We are hitting the adventure spike, baby. I foster kittens and I love wine. Sounds dangerous. Professional procrastinator. Just here trying to make some good memories with someone as friends or maybe more? Question mark. Take me out on a fun date. Push me out the car, run me over. What the hell? That escalated quickly. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) How did we go from take me out on a nice date to run me over? (laughs) If it was a nice date, wouldn't you want to not be run over? I mean, if it was a crappy date, sure, but... (laughs) (sighs) That was a good one. All right, tired of the same shit. Sweep me off my feet. Um, This is Tinder, so probably not going to happen. At least it's not the kind of person who says, if you can't hold a conversation, this isn't going to work or whatever. And then when you try to talk to them, they're just giving you one word responses as if you're supposed to just like levitate the conversation and only carry it yourself. All right. Next one. HR specialist by day, Latin dancer by night. I love going on adventures and having great conversations. What has been your favorite adventure so far? Man, twice in one profile. Girls just wanna have fun. 
I think that's like the lesson to take away from Tinder if you're trying to like figure out women as if that's like a puzzle. Um, obviously, they just want to have fun. They just want to go on adventures, man. Just plan adventures. I think that's the case for anyone. I mean, anyone wants to have fun. Like, you want to go on a fun date, you know, so that's the case for a man, too. From a man's perspective, I think a lot of men just want to feel as if the woman is trying. So, like, when a woman shows some token of appreciation, that goes, like, so far for a dude. Yeah, because, I mean, ultimately, everyone just wants to be appreciated and cared for. So, you know, it's like a woman says, I want to be swept off my feet, which you know, awesome. Like everyone wants that. Um, and so a man should sweep you off your feet, but a man also wants that same kind of appreciation. And that's, I mean, ultimately what a good relationship is about is that, you know, both people are putting in the effort with each other and, and all that good stuff. Like, just think about how good it feels when your boyfriend buys you flowers randomly, you know, when you come home and there's just flowers or flowers and chocolate or whatever. Guys would like that too. We won't admit it. You know, we wouldn't. We don't literally probably want flowers, but you get the idea. All right. Onwards we go. Down to speak French, illustrate stories, and defend a tent from bears. All right. That sounds adventurous. See, this person didn't just say, let's go on an adventure. They actually kind of described an adventure. Progress. Progress. I like horses. Uh-oh. You know what they say about those. Um, well, I go to school at blah 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 for a degree in biochemistry. I love outdoor activities as well as going to the gym. Also down to go out and have fun at night, but I'm not looking for hookups. Just want to meet some like-minded people. This one says, fuck around and find out. And then they also have a picture that says, fuck around and find out. Is that like a slogan? What does that mean? I don't understand what half of the people on this, like, are even saying. It's like a different language. Just your average forest fairy. What? That's, there's nothing average about being a forest fairy. I didn't even know that was a thing, as opposed to a regular fairy. What are you, just meandering through the trees, flapping your wings, landing on people's shoulders, granting them wishes? Do fairies grant wishes? I don't think they do. That's a genie, huh? What do fairies do? Hey guys, Ubadoo here. I don't bite, but I love to lick, lol. Just kidding, if you're interested to get in touch with me, just message me on my Instagram at potatolauncher75. <laughs> lol, just kidding. We know that's not true. I love when you catch someone who says something and nobody reacts to it, and then they just go, haha, just kidding. <laughs> and everyone knows that they're not kidding. <laughs> Those are the best. All right, next one says, pro tip, don't call me chocolate or queen. Can I call you tonight? Ha 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 Paul Simon, tea, books, cats, and socialism. I wonder if she's part of the late stage capitalism Reddit group. I should do an episode on socialism. I should do one on socialism, capitalism, communism, fascism, prisms, cubes, squares triangles all right so i guess this concludes the uh jason scrolls through tinder section of the week here and this is a good time to segue into uh, the image aspect of social media because when you're posting on social media you're posting images of yourself and you're creating this image of yourself but it's not actually you so what you are is how you exist in reality just unfiltered Whatever your being is, that's you. But on social media, you can almost decide what that is. So you get to decide what to, what to put on there, when to put it on there, how to put it on there. And that can create this dichotomy where it's hard to distinguish from the virtual world and the real world. Because that image you're creating, it looks like, it looks like you and it looks like what you are, but it's not. It's something else entirely. And because it's, you know, it's a picture of you, but it's not, it's not really you. And so we confuse that with it being you and we confuse the digital world with the real world. And we try to compare ourselves in the real world 
against somebody else in the digital world and what that does is it makes us feel kind of crappy usually because we can't measure up because what we're comparing ourselves to is something that doesn't actually exist it's something somebody's created in an alternate reality almost like think of it this way somebody holds out two apples in front of you one looks super shiny just super juicy it looks so appetizing and one looks kind of just like meh it's just like a whatever looking apple and then you you reach for the shiny one the juicy one and your hand goes right through it and you realize it's not real it's not actually an apple it's just a hologram of an apple and that's the same thing with social media it's not actually a person it's just this hologram of a person it's just the appearance of a person but it's not them it's not actually that person and so I think what happens is a lot of people look at these images and these lives that people are crafting and they compare it to their own and they say, you know, well, my life doesn't really match up. Why does everyone else look like they're having so much fun and doing all these wonderful things? And I'm not. But if we realize that, you know, what's on social media, it's really just a facade and it, some people are just posting, you know, the best moments of their lives and the best moments of their day. So you can't you can't compare yourself to that. It would be it would be silly logically to do that. Even we all do it. I mean, we're all we're all human, so we all make that mistake of trying to compare our lives to what other people post on social media. And then oftentimes, you know, we'll post these awesome things on social media and it's almost like we're trying to, you know, one up everyone else and we may not even be consciously doing that, but I think unconsciously that's kind of what we're doing. It's like, you know, you you go do something really cool and Every time you do that, you post it on social media, but why do you do that? And I think if you ask yourself that honestly, you might realize that it's not so much about you as much it is as much as it's about your image that you're crafting yourself. And when we craft this image, I think what we're doing is instead of just saying, you know, here we are, this is who I am, we're kind of saying this is how I would like to be perceived. So that's what your social media account I think for most people is basically saying and that can be interesting because a lot of us can stake a lot on this image and we can kind of convince ourselves that that really is who we are and I guess personally for me it just works to kind of distinguish the person I am on social media from the person I am in the world and kind of understand that those two things aren't exactly the same and that's okay because if you stake a lot on your image online on your social media image if you stake everything on that and you really truly you know kind of believe that that's who you are then if that comes crumbling down really can kind of destroy you and on social media it's very easy for that to come crumbling down because your account can literally get deleted i mean you can't just get deleted in in real life but on social media you can do all this work and you could who knows you gain ten thousands 10,000 followers, 100,000 followers, whatever. What if your account gets hacked and then it gets deleted and now you have nothing and you've staked everything on that image, you've staked everything on that account. What do you have left? You know, you're going to be kind of lost entirely because you've staked everything on this on this image that you've created and then you're going to have to do some soul searching and figure out, "Oh shit, you know, like who am I? What was that me? Like am I gone? Like what what's the point?" If if everything that I put into that is me and it's gone, like you could literally feel like you're gone and that, well, that just wouldn't be good. It's interesting too. I listened to a conversation with uh, Jonathan Haidt, H-A-I-D-T, and you can find it on YouTube probably if you search like Jonathan Haidt, anxiety and depression in teenagers. And essentially what he talks about is the rates of anxiety and depression have just shot way up for people born in, uh, I believe, 1995 and after. So those people have grown up with uh, phones and the internet, you know, pretty much their whole lives, and they don't know what it's like without it. So they're fully submerged in that world. And the um, what he proposes is essentially that the reason for this is pretty much kind of what I was talking about, this image on social media and the fragility of that. And what Jonathan Haidt talks about is the rates of anxiety and depression have shot up for this age group, but they've shot up especially for girls. And his hypothesis is essentially that, so men and women can both be violent, right? So everyone has the capacity to be violent. 
but men are generally more physically violent and women are more emotionally violent. So when a man has a problem with another man or a boy has a problem with another boy, they'll physically fight each other. But when a girl has a problem with another girl or a woman with a woman, they're more likely to try and damage their reputation. And on social media, that's super easy to do. So because everything on social media is so quick and everyone has access to it, it's really easy for someone to go on there and start a rumor with just about anyone or they can message literally anyone and they don't actually have to see them to start talking about these things or to try and really damage someone's reputation. Or if you have like a picture of someone, you know, say someone took a picture that they don't want anyone to see and someone comes across this or whatever, instead of giving it to somebody else and trying to spread it that way and then they have to give it to somebody else and maybe, you know, eventually along the line or the first person might just destroy it and say, this is stupid, I don't want to do this. On social media, you could just put it on there and everyone can see it immediately. And so the possible repercussions of posting on social media are just, they're so great. They're, they're huge. And I think this makes a lot of sense when we're talking about anxiety. Like it makes total sense that anxiety would shoot up because of this. Because if you're, if you're on social media and everything that you could possibly say could possibly end up going viral in just a terrible way, and everyone could see it and everyone could be like, oh my god, that guy's an idiot, we're never talking to him again. It's going to cause you a lot of anxiety because you're going to be very careful about what you say and what you like and what you comment on and all those things. And I mean, I can totally relate to this. I remember in high school I would, I would type something out or I'd post something on Facebook or whatever, and you, I would get this feeling of anxiety. Like you, you post it and then you wait a little bit, and there's this rush of anxiety, like, all right, who's going to like it? How many people are going to like it? And if a certain amount of people didn't like it soon enough, I might even take it off because I'd be like, oh, God, you know, no one's liking this. They think it's stupid. They think it's not funny. They think whatever I'm writing just isn't worth liking, so I, I can remove it. There's also, we have this tendency to focus on negative things and negative feedback more than positive ones. So it makes sense that on social media, if you post something and you get a fair amount of positive feedback or whatever, and then you just get one person who says something negative or criticizes you or whatever, you can really hyper-focus on that on social media. And it's so much easier to say those things on social media because of the anonymity factor. And you're behind a screen, so you know there's no threat of getting like punched in the face if you criticize someone or something. There's no immediate repercussion for insulting someone or whatever so i guess what i'm saying is it's probably easier to criticize people on social media and it's easier to be mean to people on social media because of that so there's no wonder that you know rates of anxiety and depression would go up it's interesting i'm i'm just like fascinated by by this idea of how people communicate with each other on social media and i talk about it a lot because it's just interesting to me and it's so it's so prevalent i think it's really a, a big issue that people don't really talk about because people talk about politics and stuff on social media and they talk about whatever it is they're talking about, but nobody ever talks about how they're talking about it. So I, I just feel like it's really important to have a discussion on, on this. And like, it's like, how, how do we converse on social media in a more healthy way? Because it's not the same as talking to someone in real life. It's completely different. Like it is entirely different. It's a whole do it's a whole new arena and so much of it has to do with this anonymous factor and, you know, the fact that you can't, you're not physically in front of somebody because just being physically in front of somebody and talking to them, it's, it's different. You treat them, you treat them entirely differently than when you're behind a screen. There's like, there's this disconnect, you know, and this is especially true if you don't know who the person is. Like if you're on some game or whatever, or you're on Twitter and you're talking to somebody and you have no idea who they are, that they don't have their name or a picture or anything. Or even if they do, even if they have a name or a picture, you still, most of the time, you don't know who the person is. And when that's the case, the disconnect is even larger. And part of me wonders if, like, unconsciously, we're even aware that we're talking to another person when we're talking online like that. Because I feel like when you're talking to someone in person, you're very aware, even because you're not thinking about talking to another person, but unconsciously you're just your your body and you are aware that you're talking to another human being and a lot goes into that but on social media you're just basically typing whatever you want to say 
so you just say what you say and when you're face to face with another person you never completely just say exactly what's on your mind like nobody walks around and says everything that's on their mind and you don't do that because there are other people around and there are repercussions to doing that but if you're on social media and you're talking to someone anonymous anonymously they don't know where you are they don't know who you are they don't know what you look like there are no repercussions you can just say whatever you want and i think that feels good for people i think it feels good for people to just be like this is what i want to say i'm gonna say it no matter how angry or riled up i am it doesn't matter because i can finally just let this out and i think like twitter especially i think twitter's a place where a lot of people go to let out their anger or i don't know maybe it's something on twitter that makes them angry and they're not angry to begin with i don't know i mean i guess everyone's a little bit angry but i i mean i don't i don't go on twitter kind of for that reason i just i don't see anything healthy happening there but i guess i get the sentiment i mean i can't say that i've never really just been like all right i kind of want to just go online and destroy somebody like i get that urge sometimes so i can understand if a lot of people get that i don't usually get angry though it's not like an anger thing for me for me it's more just about like i like to debate with people and just talk about talk about those things and i've i've thought about this a lot so i try to i really try not to like be a dick and i've gotten pretty good at not being a dick but it's not easy i mean like i a lot of the times I really just, I really want to be a dick. Like, it's just, it's it's so much fun sometimes, you know? But it's like impulsive fun. It's like, haha, like, yeah. It's like a drug, you know? It's like, I could be a dick today. And on social media, you can just be a mega dick. And, you know, that's, it's fun, but you got to realize that you're talking to other people at some point. And at some point, you have to kind of grow up and understand that that's not the best way to handle things. This, this makes a lot of sense now, going back to the point about teenagers, um, the rise in anxiety and depression among teenagers, and some of that having to do with social media, because I don't know if they're socially mature enough to handle conversations alone. Like, I mean, I don't know, that's another conversation. But anyways, it takes a lot of social maturity to have a difficult conversation with somebody in real life. And I think it takes even more social maturity to have a conversation like that about something serious on social media. So, you know, if you're a teenager, that's like a minefield. Like, it's, I don't know how we, we would expect anyone to navigate that in a healthy manner, at least on their own. And it's so new, like, this whole social media thing and talking to each other online, it's so new. So I don't think we know exactly what to teach kids and how we should teach them. And even the importance of it, you know, I, I don't see a lot of people talking about about this, about having conversations on social media and the importance of being respectful and understanding that you're talking to another human being when you're on there. Because it's not part of the curriculum, obviously. It's not like you take math, science, English, and how to talk to Jimmy on Facebook. And I don't know how much of it we can teach and how much of it just comes with maturing. Because for me personally, I feel like Learning how to talk to people online just kind of came as I as I got older and I matured. I don't know. I don't know how how we should go about about trying to fix that. I would have to think about that more. Because I mean, if you tell a kid, "Hey, this is how you talk to somebody online," they're probably going to be like, "Fuck that!" And it doesn't make sense to just not let kids use social media. I don't think that's not that's not the answer either. So I don't know, but. Definitely something to think about. Oh my god, if you ever wanna if you ever wanna see something interesting, <laughs> you should go to like a streaming website or something or somewhere where they stream like NFL games or something and just go to the chat room and look at the stuff people say because <laughs> if you wanna see how teenagers unfiltered talk to each other on social media when there's no picture or no profile or anything, <laughs> that is hilarious. It's just like a string of insulting random strangers and saying things that make absolutely no sense whatsoever uh, hmm okay i wrote down social media instant gratification and nihilism how the fuck are those really okay i think i remember what i was talking about 
Alright, this is going to be rough, but I think I'm going to try and work my way through this idea a touch here. Okay, so nihilism is super popular among people my age, and I guess I think some of it could, could be due to this instant gratification on social media in the sense that you post something and you instantly get a reward. And for me, I've found that when I am the happiest in my life and the healthiest is when I'm working towards a difficult goal that takes a, a long time. So I just finished writing my first book and it took me about a year to write it. And I was working on it every day. So working on this every day for a year. And as I worked my way through it, it was challenging, but the further I got along and the the more I worked on it and just the fact that I kept working on it, it made me really happy and it was really fulfilling. And then once I finished, it felt really awesome. But then also, you know, once I finished, it's like, what's next? I need another project. But the fact that it was really difficult and it took me a long time, it, it provided me with something. It provided me with a sense of meaning. And I think on social media, it encourages, I don't know if it encourages, but you, you just the reward is so instant. You post something now, and you get a like within seconds, within minutes. And I think the more that happens, the more we seek it out, the more we seek that feeling out. And the feeling doesn't last. You know, it, it leaves as quickly as it comes because it's so instant. And so I see a lot of people kind of like living hedonistic lives where they are just pleasure-seeking, and they don't have any really deep meaning in their life and they think that nothing matters and I think a lot of that could kind of do with this deviation from having to work to get that reward you know really having to put the time and the effort in to uh, get that dopamine or whatever that makes sense when I was talking about like the poetry community on Instagram and how people are doing the marketing before they're doing the crafting I think those people are searching for that instant reward. You know, they just want they just want that good feeling. They just want they just want that that dopamine. They want that hit of the like and they want that follow and they they like the way that feels and they're not as much in love with the process of writing itself, which is a shame. You can notice this in anyone who's really successful at what they do though is they really love what they do and they become engrossed in that process of doing it and they're not fixated on the result. They just love what they're doing and so they keep doing it. I think they've talked about this in writings and stuff is what they call this flow state. So like when I'm writing something difficult or really thinking my way through a difficult idea or just working on a project, it's like, I don't know how to describe it, but it's I guess the only way I could describe it is that things just feel in place. Like the world just seems to exist as it should. But yeah, I mean that's... I'll have to do a whole whole episode on meaning and nihilism. Probably I could do this together, I suppose. That would, that would make sense. Because there seems to be something that's been lost. Like the fact that I, I feel like things have gotten so easy in the West at least, where people don't have to work to survive, you know, you don't, there's no more hunter-gatherer mentality in the West, you know, there's still, like, there's like a few hunter-gatherer tribes left, like, on the earth, like, on the whole planet, while the rest of us just go to grocery stores, like, have you ever realized how ridiculously insane a grocery store is, like, you can just go two miles, like, you're never more than, like, a few miles away from a place that has all of the food. Like you go there and you just pick out what you want and then you bitch because you have to stand in line. You can get fruit that's out of season because they shipped it in like a day from the other hemisphere. It's insane. I think, I feel like there would be a lot of satisfaction in having to find your own meal in the wild. I mean, I, I've never really, I'm like, I haven't hunted or anything. I've never, I've never lived outside of that bubble where I just am able to go to the grocery store. But from what I've heard and what I suspect, I think there's a lot, a lot of meaning in that and being able to find your own meal and cook your own meal and putting all that work into it. I think it would be that more, that much more satisfying 
and that much more meaningful 